going to be here, your opportunity to leave is gone. You saw me come up here, you had the opportunity to scoot out if you felt like you wanted to, but now all the doors are locked, sealed, and you're shut in. All right, so I have your undivided attention, hopefully. All right, I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to be there in just a little bit. For those of you that uh, were aware of uh, the passing of my father-in-law, Peggy's dad, uh, we appreciate your prayers. Uh, He passed away a week ago Friday, and she had already been there for a week, and I left Sunday afternoon a week ago, and they had the viewing and funeral Tuesday and Wednesday, and then we came back on Friday. So it went as well as it can be anticipated, the full Catholic funeral, and uh, her, my wife's uncle, his brother, is a retired Dominican priest. He participated a little bit in the service as well. My brother-in-law asked me if I was going to speak in the uh, services at all. I said, no, I don't think I'll have that opportunity. Uh, I did in mine, but I have a saved brother and sister, and my mom opened the door when my dad passed away 38 years ago to preach, and uh, I also preached her funeral. But I didn't have that opportunity at the O'Malley funeral. It was very Catholic, priests, deacons, and whatever else there. So a family that needs to be saved. And those of you that have lost family members or lost religious family members, you know what what I'm talking about. Also, of course, as has been mentioned, a uh, pastor is not here, and he is on his way back, I think maybe uh, even today at some point, so do pray for his uh, travels, and he had an opportunity, of course, at his brother's uh, wedding to, uh, I guess, uh, witness to some people, give out some literature, so just pray for fruit on that behalf, and uh, for some literature that tracks that I got out as well, that uh, Lord will bear fruit with that, and we'd appreciate it very much. All right, we're in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14. Let's read some verses first, and then if I don't forget, we'll have a word of prayer. 1 Samuel, we're going to look at verse 13, chapter 13, the last verse, verse 23, the context. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. So we have a battle coming up with the Philistines. So now we're in chapter 14, and I want to start in verse Four, please, and we'll read a few verses. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of the one was Boses, and the name of the other Senna. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, which we read about in 1323, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the armor-bearer that bear his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. That's a good verse to keep in mind, isn't it? And his armor-bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee, behold, according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, We will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves. In other words, uncover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, so the Philistines are going to come down, then we will stand still in our place and will not go unto them. But 
If they, the Philistines, say unto us, say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. Now, where he got that information insight from, I have no idea, but it was divinely inspired. There's no doubt about it. Verse 11. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, was about twenty men within, as it were, a half acre of land, which is a yoke of oxen might plow, and there was a great trembling of the host in the field. And among all the people and the garrison and the spoilers, they all trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude, meaning the Philistines, melted away. And they went on beating down one another. Then slipped to verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto beth Aven. Let's bow. Our Father, we ask and pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts, and you'd show us something from your word that we can make an application. We look at this text and we're scratching our heads and wondering what are we going to get out of it? How does it apply to us? And so, Lord, I pray that you will uh, give wisdom, discernment, and open our hearts to truth and help us to indeed apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, you look at that text and you say, well, where are we going today? You know, it's like outer space. What's going on here? Well, I think what I have uh, is something I believe the Lord's given me. And actually... It's something I preached over 20 years ago. Uh, and you say, well, there we go, you know, dragging up the old stuff. Well, I have new messages, and I have something new. Actually, I, I put together that I thought, well, the next time I have a chance to preach here, I'll probably use this new message. But when Pastor had asked me about speaking this morning, I thought, well, I'll do due diligence, and I'll just look over other messages, not just assume that this new message is what God wants for me to preach. So I looked through some messages, old messages, and, you know, this, that, and whatever else. And actually, I came across this message, and I just flipped by it. I thought, nah, not that one. And whatever, back and forth, back and forth, just to see if something, Lord, lay something on my heart and speak to me. So I picked out some different ones, and I was kind of calling through them. And the next day or so, it just, this message came back to my mind. And I just thought, really? I thought, well, okay. And so I went back and found it and brought it out and looked over, and I thought, well, that's, good possibility. So I think this is what God would have me speak to you. It's not what I wanted to preach on, but I think it's what God would have me to preach on. And I want, you, I want to say this, as you're going to see in a little bit, uh, I, I'm glad I'm preaching in a time that pastor's not over there. Now, you, you laugh at that thinking I have something else up my sleeve, but I don't. I don't want to embarrass him for some of the things that I'm going to be talking about today. I just want to speak to us today. So the title of this message is uh, the job description of an armor bearer. 
But we're going to make an application a little bit later on. So when we, we look at this story and we see obviously it deals with a, a, a great battle uh, and a great victory. And the hero of the story is no doubt Jonathan. I mean, he's the hero. He's the one to discern what to do, how to do it. He's the one that led the way. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to draw our attention, as I told you in the title, to the armor bearer. Because, you know, Jonathan wouldn't have won the great victory if it wasn't for his armor bearer. And the armor bearer has an important part. In fact, he has a special role that he performs. And he's indispensable to the outcome of the battle. Now, first of all, you say, an armor bearer? Well, you look at verse 1, for instance. We didn't read it. But look at verse 1. The, the name, the title is descriptive. Right? This title is descriptive. So verse 1 says this. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bear his armor. So he's what? He's the armor bearer. And look at verse 6. He says, he repeats it. And Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor. So it's obvious that the armor bearer is somebody that gets the job of toting the armor along. I mean, Jonathan would... You're not going to expect the soldier, Jonathan, the king's son, to carry his own armor and everything else. So all the different things, the breastplate, the greaves, you know, the shield, the helmet, that, the sword, all those things, the armor bearer gets to do that. And he gets to carry all those things in and he gets to put it on, uh, on Jonathan and all that type of a thing. Uh, so that's who he is. He's an armor bearer. But once the soldier, in this case Jonathan, has his armor on, and once he has his weapon in hand and the shield in his arm, then the armor bearer's role becomes much different and much more important. He goes behind the soldier. This armor bearer went behind, and if you look at it, uh, let's go to uh, verse Look at verse 12 towards the end. What Jonathan says to the armor bearer, come up after me. And then if you look at verse 13, in the middle, and his armor bearer after him. And then the end, the, his armor bearer slew after him. Three times we see the word after him, after him, after him. The armor bearer is behind Jonathan. His role is important. He's in a support role. He's there to protect the backside of the soldier as the soldier was free, therefore, to fight an offensive battle. So as long as the armor bearer is doing his job, then Jonathan, or the soldier, doesn't have to worry about getting attacked from behind. In fact, one, look, again, look at what it said in verse um, 13. And his armor bearer slew after him. So... If you, if you remember the story, back in chapter 13, it said that Saul and Jonathan were the only two that had swords. He had to go down to the Philistines to get them sharpened, but they were the only two that had swords. So you say, well, how does the armor bearer slay after him? Well, I think it doesn't take that much thinking involved in here, and that's why I could figure it out. So I'm sure you can all figure it out just as well. So if Jonathan's going up there, and he gets to the top, and he's got his sword out, and he's whacking at somebody... And that fellow gets down, and he's wounded, and he drops his sword. What does the armor bearer do? Well, he reaches down and picks up the sword. And then what does he do? Well, he makes sure he's gone. He makes sure he's dead. He slays after him. It's not that Jonathan was over here and the armor bearer over here. It's Jonathan was here and the armor bearer was here. 
And when that one guy goes down and he's wounded and worried about his wound and his, and his sword is laying to the side, that armor bearer's responsibility was to finish him off. Why? So he couldn't rise and get and slay Jonathan the soldier from behind. He was the, his role was simply to finish off those that are wounded so the soldier continue to fight the armor and slay those that are wounded. So as I said, my goal here today, I'm going to bring three points. I want to talk about the job description of an armor bearer. But I want to liken it to church members that any pastor would love to have. So you could go two sides. Take your pick. If you like that second one, you can put that as the first one. So Brother Randy, wherever you are now, if you like the second one, you can change that. No. He asked me last night what was my message. That caught me by surprise. I don't usually night before ask, you know, what are you going to preach on? But take your pick. Listen, if you're going to be a good armor bearer, that means you're going to be a good church member. And you're going to be the kind of church member that your pastor is going to love to have. And that's why I didn't, I'm glad I had the opportunity to preach this message when he's not here. I'm not trying to draw attention to himself. It's like a, like a pastor at a, at a deacon meeting or whatever talking about a pay raise. Or, or simply being up here talking about church finances and supporting the pastor. And it's, it's, it's you know, a little squeamish. You don't really want to be talking about how you should support you know, him, etc. And he's doing the speaking. Setting the parameters. Giving you scripture is all true, but it's, you know, you're speaking about yourself and it's a little hard. So I, I relish the opportunity to say some of the things I'm going to say. Now, maybe he'll listen to it later on, but at least he won't be here and, and we won't see him blush and be the first time we get to see him blush, right? This is the church member that every pastor would love to have. Albeit, you could be any, any, you might have a role in the church, a special role. It could be an assistant pastor. I was an assistant pastor for 19 years. I trust I was the kind of assistant pastor that my pastor would love to have, or did love to have. And I didn't want to be an Absalom. I said that from the, from the very beginning. In fact, the first time my pastor, the only time probably, just about in 19 years there, Probably 19 times, maybe one or two more times, I preached on a Sunday morning. He was never out of the pulpit. And the only reason that Sunday morning was the Sunday after, or the Sunday of, uh, after Thanksgiving. Because that was the start of deer season. And he was up in, the, up in the mountains for deer season. He'd been up there for the week before bear. And then over that weekend, he was still up there for deer. And I, had, I call it the widow's weekend. The Hunter's Widow's Weekend. Because that night, even in the morning, some fellows would be there. But otherwise, they'd already be up in the mountains. In, in Pennsylvania, the mountains are just, you know, straight across the north. And uh, then the Sunday night service would be a lot of ladies there. And not as many men there. They'd all be gone. Uh, but that's the only time that he, he left. But when I spoke that first time that he was gone, I let people know. That was the first year I was there about five or six months at the most. And I just said, listen, I'm not... I'm not going to be somebody that you can complain to and get your gripes out about your pastor. I'm not listening to them. They're just going to bounce off me completely. I'm not here to undercut your pastor. I'm here to support 
you know, our pastor as far as that goes. So whether a person is an assistant pastor, whether you're a deacon, uh, whether, you know, it's a department head, uh, whether you're a secretary, or whether uh, you're a church member, or whether you're involved in Sunday school classes or, or different master clubs or any of the different ministries of the church, whatever it is, or you're a church member, are you that church member that your pastor loves to have? So we're going to see. What's the first thing we're going to look at? Well, look at verse 6 and 7 just for a second again. Here's what Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor. Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said, he responded unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. So go ahead, don't, don't look at me. Go ahead and turn and get going. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. So the first thing I want to say is a description of the job description for an armor bearer. He's got to be courageous to follow his leader in the battle. In other words, he's got to be willing to trust the leadership of his soldier and trust him because he's going to trust him with his own life because he's going into battle. He could get killed. But he's going to trust him and he's going to submit and yield to the leader's vision. And that's the case that we have here. So Jonathan had a vision. Jonathan, as we said, he had a unique vision. We'll call up to them. If they, if they say, stay there, we're coming down, we'll stay down and fight. But if they say, come on up, then let's go up there and we're going to whip them. God's going to give them a, you know, into our hand. So he had a unique vision, and that armor bearer was willing to submit himself to the vision that God gave Jonathan, his soldier. And he basically said to him, you lead the way, I'm right behind you. Now it's a support role. He wasn't asked to be the point man. He wasn't asked to go ahead, and Jonathan would be behind and let him do the dirty work, let him be the first one killed. No, Jonathan was going to assume that responsibility and go first. All he had to do was follow. All he had to do was, you know, do what he was told to do. All he had to do was pick up the pieces after Jonathan. He had to trust his leadership, though. He had to summon the courage and yield to his leadership. So that's what we have, don't we? We have a pastor that's called of God to lead this church. It's our pastor's vision for this church. It's his heart for this ministry. It's his responsibility to organize uh, the plan of attack against the enemy's strongholds. And if we're going to be that God-called armor bearer, then we're going to be that person that says, yes, sir. Hey, just like it says in verse uh, 6, or, I'm sorry, verse 7. We say to Pastor to Michael, Hey, Pastor, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Are you with him? Are you with him? Boy, that was a little weak. I, won't, I, don't, want, I don't want a response, but are you with him? Are you with him? You know, uh, any pastor, our pastor as well, because of the size of the congregation here, he has a lot on his plate. 
And you say, yeah, but he doesn't see me. But he sees all of you. And he has a lot on his plate. He cares about all of you. He prays for all of you. He, he's concerned about all of you. You know the thing that breaks his heart? And I've heard it from him. The thing that breaks his heart to see somebody here or that somebody that was here that isn't here. Or see somebody that's here end up not being here because they decide that, well, they don't want to submit to the pastor's leadership and the pastor's vision, and they just think they can do, go it better on their own. And it literally, I'm sure, breaks his heart. So it's, 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 his, it's his responsibility. It's the pastor's, the soldier. It's Jonathan's responsibility to lay out the vision and to organize the, the attack against the devil's forces. So whatever it is that we can attribute to different ministries that we have here. Soul winning ministries. Uh, canvassing went out yesterday. Or it could be uh, with Brother Holes and going downtown and, and street work. And it could be the bus routes and ministry to reach kids that are unchurched. It could be the emphasis that your pastor places on tracks. How many times have you, we've been here four years since we came off the field. How many times have you heard him say, get, get those tracks out there, they're free. Just get a handful of tracks and give them out this week. I'm not the only one that's heard it, obviously. We've all heard it. So consequently, in my car, on the side of my car and the door, I've got tracks that I've picked up from here. And every time I go in the stores, unless I forget, but otherwise I'll take some tracks and put them in my pocket and go into the store and try to give out some of the tracks. I took a bunch of tracks with me as I traveled and on the airplane or getting off the airplane or wherever, trying to give out some different tracks. And that comes from his leadership. That comes from his vision of how, what God's placed upon his heart. How about, how about the foreign missions? Well, is that a ministry that the pastor has on his heart? Supporting foreign missions? By all means. Look at that. When we have our mission uh, conference later on this fall and the amount of money that this church gives to support foreign missions. And bearing precious seed was mentioned this morning. And getting out John and Romans, we have some that are going to the Philippines, or will eventually. Since I've been here, we sent some to Thailand and China, and now the Philippines. And that's just a ministry, but it's reaching out, getting literature out uh, to the world around us. You have Sunday school classes. Where did this, where does it, it comes from the vision that God gave our pastor. It comes from that, he's our Jonathan that's out there. And are you the guy or gal that's behind him? supporting him as he sees a vision and he says let's attack the devil here or let's attack the devil here and let's ground our kids in gospel truth through Sunday school through master club let's ground let's ground young adults or whoever in the uh, the bible institute let's ground let's ground people in our homeschooling let's or, or in our christian school to you know thwart the efforts the devil has to undermine what we're doing here in the church encounter the secular liberal philosophies that we have. The different programs that you have here, the different uh, uh, conferences that we have here. One we had recently in the August and then one coming up in another two weeks or so. The preaching from the pulpit here, the teaching from the pulpit here, the men that he allows into the pulpit here. It's part of his vision that God's given us. And I want to ask you simply this. Your pastor, our pastor needs armor bearers to protect his backside. Church members that are willing to support him, 
courageous enough to enter into the battle, that'll trust him with, for his leadership. All of these are a result of pastor's vision. You say, well, you're, you sound like a, pretty much like a yes man here. You're like a, you know, well, the pastor said yes man. No, I'm not a yes man. I have my own mind, I have, but you know what? I'll support the office of a pastor. Because that's what God's given us. Elders, pastors, bishops, as the Bible talks about. You know, the one thing the armor bearer didn't do, the armor bearer didn't sit there and say, now Jonathan, he didn't challenge Jonathan, did he? He didn't say, hey, whoa, wait a minute. My life too, buddy, my life too. So I don't know if this is where you should go. He didn't criticize what he had. He didn't challenge what he had to offer. He didn't argue with him about it. He submitted. As I said, I read already. Um, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thine heart. You know, people that are behind their pastor pray for him. They pray for him. They support him. They get involved. Uh, they tithe to support the ministries that he, uh, God's laid upon his heart. Uh, they, they see an open door, they go through it. They see a job to do, they do it. They turn a deaf ear to criticism from others. Now listen, I'm not trying to idealize the office, the position, or the personality of a pastor. I'm not here to idealize it. And you can't either. You can't, you can't be in a position to say, well, the pastor's up there and he can do no wrong. Guess what? Mrs. DeMichael, there you are. If you think your pastor's perfect, ask Mrs. DeMichael. She doesn't have to go into any particulars, but she'll just say, well, no, he's not. And that'll be the end of the discussion. There's nobody perfect. Our, our pastor, Brother Bertrand, would know this. The Bertrands would, the Michaels would. Our pastor, when we first got saved, Craig Massey was his name, he had a phrase that said, we're all painted with the same brush. In other words, we all have feet of clay. Your pastor's not perfect. If you put somebody on a pedestal, guess what's going to happen? God's going to show you a chink in their armor. And you know what? If you have put them on a pedestal, that'll just crumble you. You'll be devastated. People have done that. I, I know people that have done that with other pastors. They elevated their pastor so much, and then the pastor messed up big time. And they just ran out on God. So just get it out of your mind. Your pastor's not perfect. No pastor is perfect. But then again, we're not perfect. So imperfect people come to an imperfect church led by an imperfect pastor and that's just the way things work but one day in glory perfect people will be involved in a perfect heaven and we have a perfect savior it's up there it's not down here but he does the best he can do with what he has as any pastor does and and should do but at the same time you don't idolize or idealize the pastor or the position, but at the same time, you don't neuter it. You don't neuter it. You don't say, well, <laughs> he's just a man. He's just a man like me. So therefore, I can criticize what he's doing and I can challenge what he's doing. No, that's not. The, it's a God-ordained position. And it's a 
calling from God himself. So if you're going to fight against it, then guess who you're fighting against? So it's an important thing for us to do to realize, get some spiritual discernment and realize that we're in this battle and that we're here to, in a support role. We're here to slay after, well, not literally. Sometimes I guess what we see around us today, we'd almost like that opportunity, but we're not here to slay literally after uh, our, uh, our soldier, our Jonathan. Uh, but we are here to follow his leadership. But secondly is this. Secondly of this, and we see in verse 13, look at it again, verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they, the Philistines, fell before Jonathan, meaning he was slaying them, and his armor bearer slew after him. So the second thing an armor bearer needs to be is dependable. Dependable. These aren't, you know, great, you, you don't have to have massive talents to follow a leader. You don't have to have a massive talent to be dependable and be where you should be and where you're supposed to be. It doesn't take much. And we're going to see the last one too. They're all simple things, but yet for some it's the hardest thing to do. I don't quite understand why, but it is the case. This fella, this armor bearer, his requirement was to follow and his requirement was to be dependable. You need to stay there. I'm up here fighting, and you need to be behind me and watch my backside. You need to kill and slay after me and don't leave. Not only get in the battle with me, but stay in the battle with me. My, we have so many loose cannons in Christianity. We're independent Baptists. And the problem some of us have, we're independent of the independent Baptists. You know, we're so... You know, we have liberty in Christ and liberty to just go out on our own. And you make the worst mistake. Well, what, what's a, there's two mistakes this guy can make. The first thing is he can get up and flee and run. Vacate his position. Well, what happens to the soldier? What if he wounds a fellow, but that guy gets up with his sword and he comes from behind? You know, those, the, the, the armor that those soldiers had was up front, not in the back. And when you look at what Paul talks about with the Roman soldier in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, you know, it's that breastplate. And then it's, you know, loins girt about, and then he's going to have greaves on, uh, on his shins and all, but he doesn't have anything in the back. And that's why the armor bearer is so important, so vital to the well-being and health and life of this soldier, this Jonathan. If you have a position, fill that position. Stay in that position. Why should you leave a church? Well, you should leave a church if the pastor goes off on doctrine. Has that happened? Not to my knowledge. You should leave a church potentially. I say potentially. There's a possibility. There can be personality conflicts. Okay? I mean, the Bible does say as much as is within you, live peaceably with all men, okay? So it's a possibility that there'd be such a conflict. But if you were, and I'm not advocating this, I don't want this, I don't wish this, please don't use my words against me. But if you were and felt led of God to leave because you could no longer in good conscience serve God here in this church because you have such a conflict, then leave 
alone. Don't try to just yourself, justify yourself with somebody else and win them over to your cause. Well, the pastor, you know him, blah, 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 blah. And then you gain a following and then you all leave. That's not biblical. That's not spiritual. And you think God's going to bless that? I, as the Bible says, I trow not. I think not. I don't think that's going to be a, you know, a blessing on God's part at all. But, but listen, you know, the pastor can't do all that he wants to do. The vision that he has and fulfill it. If we end up wanting to leave because as soon as troubles happen or something disagrees with us or there's an opposition and I'm going to take off. Don't vacate your position. Your position, your spot is important. Don't you think, I know, you know, I have habits and my wife doesn't always like them as such. We always sit here. And Michael is in my seat. But no, we're, <laughs> we always, that's just what it is. My wife every now and then, well, we ought to sit, well, okay, maybe, but uh, that's our crowd over there. And, but because of that, there's folks here who may not even know who I am. Because, and I don't even know you by sight, possibly, even though I've been here for over four years, because I don't sit over there necessarily, and I don't see everybody over there. I've seen people here, and I, I said to my wife, I said, oh, I've never seen them before. And I think maybe it's new people, and no, if I were to talk to them, they said, no, I've been here 10 years. That's possible. It's just the way things are. And for some of you, I may be a new face, even though I've been in this pulpit on Sunday nights or uh, combined Sunday school or whatever else, because um, we don't just we don't cross paths at times. But listen, don't retreat, and don't minimize what you do. Listen, if you're trying to do something for the Lord here, if you're involved in some ministry here, if you're uh, helping and supporting the church here, if you're you know, tithing and financially involved and you're present here and you're praying for the ministry and your pastor, don't get discouraged thinking that your role is so small and that you're, you're not making a difference. I think back, I thought about this way before. My dad, uh, when he was in World War II, was in the uh, Coast Guard. And in the Coast Guard, he was, at that point during the war, the Coast Guard was, became a ministry underneath, or underneath the Navy. They were absorbed by the Navy. So he wasn't guarding coasts. He was involved in a uh, transport uh, ship uh, in the Pacific. And he had trained for the boilers, learning how to run the boilers and all in the ship. So that's what he did. So he's in the hold, you know, hold in the belly of the ship. He's working on the boilers, hot, sweaty, whatever else. And then when they had to unload their cargo, he'd be out there helping unload and whatever, all that type of thing. Now he could have thought to himself, okay, I'm doing something, but I'm not really doing that much. I'm not fighting. I'm not in the battle. I'm not there on, you know, I'm not there on one of the islands reconquering these islands or the Philippines or whatnot. I'm not involved in that type of a thing. I'm not flying a plane over. I'm really only doing this. But wait a minute. If the boilers aren't working in the ship, what happens to the ship? Doesn't go anywhere, does it? And if the ship doesn't go anywhere, what happens to the cargo? It doesn't get to its destination. And you can't offload it and either uh, bring uh, supplies to troops that are on the front lines or supplies to area where they're rebuilding airfields or whatever else on these reconquered islands. So... If you are doing your job in the boiler room on one ship, it's an important job. 
It's an important job for the war effort. Your job is an important job, whatever it is. It was mentioned last night in men's prayer about praying for the, a five-year-old class. Five-year-olds. Well, that's an important job. If you're a five-year-old kid, that's an important job to get good truth, foundational truth in your life. So you need to be dependable and stay in the battle. You're not there, as I said before, uh, to you know, fight against and question the decisions that Jonathan makes, our Jonathan makes. And that's happened all along, obviously. Uh, we saw that, you know, Koradathan and Byram, they said to Moses, you know, you take too much upon you. All the congregation of Israel are holy. You know, basically it's kind of like, hey, you're just a man like we are. Where you get off that you're leading this whole crowd, we ought to get up there too and be part of the leadership. Well, that wasn't what God wanted at all. And look at David and, David and uh, uh, Saul. I mean, there were those that thought David should have, when Saul was chasing him around the countryside, there were those that thought, David, you have the opportunity here to slay him and get rid of your problems, which he did a couple of times. No, it ain't going to happen. God placed him in that position, and I'm going to leave him there, and it's going to be God that will remove him if God chooses to remove him, I'm not going to put my hands on that. Listen, the bottom line is simply this. There, Dr. Brooklyn would always say the greatest problem in churches is frustrated ambition. Frustrated ambition. Somebody that feels they could do the job just as good. Somebody that feels they were called to preach, they didn't necessarily surrender, but they know how to do the job. And they have that ambition, but they're all frustrated because they don't get to fulfill it. And the greatest problem is church splits and whatever. But listen, you don't get in a position of leadership by challenging the leadership. That's not how it works. You get in a position of leadership by following the leader, proving yourself, and waiting for God to present you a position. That's what David did. He followed the leader until he could no longer follow that leader. Then he got out. But he wouldn't. Take the initiative to get rid of that leader. That wasn't what he wanted to do. The problem that we have with church members sometimes is they watch a pastor, think they can do it better, and they cause dissension and church splits, and it gives a victory to the devil. What would be the, the worst thing that could happen to this church? A church split down the middle. And to see vacant, vacant seats all over the place. Why? Because somebody thought they had a better idea. I'd be ashamed. And instead, what we need to do is embrace our arm to arm around in a chain and support the ministries of the church and support our pastor and pray for our pastor, pray for our pastor's wife, her health, but her emotional, mental stability. And don't get me wrong, I'm not calling you unstable, that has nothing to do with it. But just the simple fact that she has to see and hear what her husband goes through. So pray for Pray for him. If you have a, a burr in your saddle regarding your pastor, our pastor, instead of complaining, why don't you pray for him? Just pray for him. And see if God will change your heart. And let God use that to change his heart or his mind about possibly a particular thing. Lastly, 
Lastly, we see the, same, the third thing basically in the same verse about the armor bearer following after him and slaying after him. The third thing is simply this. The armor bearer must be loyal and remain faithful to his leader in the battle. Loyal. You say, well, you know, dependable, loyal. Well, we have a big difference. Dependable is where you stay there. Where God puts you, you stay there until God moves you. Uh, when I was an assistant pastor for 19 years and I went up there, I said to myself, I said, I'm going to stay here until God moves me. Well, God eventually uh, opened the door for Poland or laid it upon my heart. And I said to God, I'm going to stay here until you move me. Here I am. I just believe God's made those moves. I didn't want to jump the gun and ruin things for me and my family by jumping the gun too soon or being critical of something, or not getting my way, or feeling slighted, or whatever the case was, or could be. Listen, that armor bearer is in a sensitive position. Jonathan slain a Philistine, and the armor bearer picks up the sword. And now Jonathan has his back to him. If he's not loyal... If he has some perceived slight from Jonathan, if he senses a mistreatment by Jonathan, if he's jealous of Jonathan, if he has a bone to chew with Jonathan, what could he possibly, if he's been bought out by the Philistines and he's a traitor, what could he do to Jonathan? But he has to be loyal. You know, I said at the first that the, the, the armor bearer has to be courageous to follow, to trust the leadership. But at the same time, that, armor, that soldier, Jonathan, has to trust his life to his armor bearer. He has to be loyal. Somebody that's not going to uh, criticize to others. Hey, that armor bearer could disagree with Jonathan, couldn't he? Isn't that permissible? Can't you disagree with it? Can't I disagree with your pastor? I said before, I'm not just a yes man. I can disagree with him, but I don't want to be disagreeable. You can disagree with something. Just keep it to yourself. You don't have to air it with everybody else. Pray about it, like I said before. And don't let that disagreement change the attitude of your heart to where you're disagreeable. You can't get along with everything. I've had people say, I know my pastor back home said this to me, you know, about cars. You know, you can have a car for so long and you like it, whatever else, but it gets to a tipping point possibly with a car to where it's like, you know, things start breaking down. You have to replace it, whatever. All of a sudden, there's nothing good about that car. I mean, there's just nothing good about that car. Everything is bad about that car. But you, what you, one thing you do forget about is if the car, does, car is paid for, that's a good thing. You go out and buy a new car and you have a bill and you have to pay for it. That's a whole other story. So you can have a soldier, you can have your Jonathan up there and you can disagree at times, whatever. But just make it a matter of prayer. Don't stab him in the back. And as we said before, there's no armor for his back. That soldier, that Jonathan has to trust, our pastor has to trust us that we're not going to be backstabbers. 
that we're not going to be, you know, somebody that's there to take advantage of an opportunity and pull the, you know, pull the rug out from underneath them. I won't mention a name because I know you know the pastor, but there's a pastor that I learned recently during the, during the pandemic, during the time that we were, for instance, when we were having live streaming. And by the way, if you're in live stream audience, glad to have you. But I hope, I hope by God's grace you come out to church instead of just staying at home if you have the opportunity. But they were in live stream like we were in the lockdown. And this was empty. And somebody would be here and preach. Uh, or in the chapel building and preach. And uh, that's what we would see. Okay, it had to be. And that's the way it was. But this fellow, they were live streaming also. But in the afternoon, his deacon was having services in the church without the pastor's knowledge. Why? Because he didn't agree with the pastor. And he didn't think, he, th he thought it was kind of wimpy that they would fall in line with these lockdowns and he needed to show them that, you know, we can do it our way and we're going to get out there and preach and whatever. Wow. Do you think he's the kind of armor bearer you want to have your back? Is he the kind of church member you'd love to have if you were a pastor? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, about two years ago, in November 20, I, I, out of the CL, CLA, Christian Law Association, uh, Brother Gibbs, it was a survey, I guess, that they got someplace. And I, uh, I just kept it for such a time as this, I guess. It says this. Listen to this now. Take this. Just wrap your mind around these things. It says, 97% of pastors have been betrayed. 97% of pastors have been betrayed. It says 70% of pastors battle depression. Now listen, I'm not saying our pastor. I'm just saying this is a survey that was taken. 80% of pastors feel discouraged. 94% of pastors' families feel the pressure of ministry. 78% of pastors have no close friends. 90% of pastors work 55 to 75 hours a week. 10% of pastors retire as a pastor. 7,000 churches close each year and 1,500 pastors quit each month. I don't know where it came from. I know it was in the CLA newsletter two years ago. Each church needs armor bearers. David had his traitor, Ahithophel, his counselor, went against him, gave counsel to Absalom. Absalom, his own son, went against him. David wrote in one of the Psalms, Mine own familiar friend hath lifted up his heel against me. It happens. It's part of life. It's unfortunate. But the thing is, we don't have to let that be us, right? It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be you. I don't know if you have a particular problem with this church or with this pastor. I don't know. I know it's happened before. I know everybody that was a member of this church is not here today. And I don't mean those that are out vacationing or, or whatever. I mean people have left for their own reasons, good or bad. But each church needs armor bearers. Each pastor needs people that will follow him. Each, as he 
leads the church in the fight against the world, flesh, and the devil. Each, each pastor needs a church members that will fight and be dependable. And each pastor needs church members that will be loyal and be faithful. And my question is simply this. Are you that church member that your pastor loves to have? Are you that church member? For 19 years, as I was an assistant pastor, I hope by the grace of God, I was that uh, fellow that was willing to follow the leadership of my pastor, that I was dependable for those 19 years, and that I was loyal to him in those 19 years. And I hope by God's grace, that would be the epitaph uh, for everyone here. I want to ask you to stand, please, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. We're going to have the piano player, organist, possibly, to uh, just play a hymn. I want to ask you something. Be somewhat of a hymn of invitation, but I want to ask you, before I close, in prayer here, are you willing to pray for your pastor? Are you willing to come forward? Just come on forward and just say, listen, I, I want to pray for my pastor. I want to pray for my pastor's wife. I want to pray for this church. I want to be that armor bearer that my pastor would love to have. I want to be that church member my pastor would love to have. I'm not saying you're on the outs with your pastor if you were to come forward. I wouldn't mean that. I wouldn't take that at all. But if you say, listen, I want, I want my pastor to know, if he were here looking at me, I want him to know that I support him. I'm behind him. I want him to go forward. You know, God, it's God's choice to have him uh, abdicate that role and responsibility. I just want to be that armor bearer. I don't have to be the lead guy. I don't have to be the front runner. I don't have to have any notoriety or any fame whatsoever. I just want to be used of God to support God's man in God's time. And I just want to make a public declaration of that by coming forward. So I extend that opportunity, invitation. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean you don't come. You don't want to pray for your pastor. That's not at all. You already pray for your pastor. I understand. But it's your opportunity to just voice your heart and your mind that you are linked with your pastor in his battle against this world. Our Father and our God, we love you. And we, we do. We count it. Uh, such a privilege to be members of Treasure Valley Baptist Church, to have our pastor as our pastor. He's a good man. He's done a good job. He's not perfect, as all none of us are perfect. But he's done a good job, and he's doing a good job, and we're glad to have him, as long as he sees fit to serve in that capacity. So Lord, I ask for Pastor DeMichael, for... Mrs. DeMichael, that you'll strengthen and encourage them for the battle ahead. We don't know what's going to take place. We don't know where this country is exactly headed. Lord, we need strong leadership. We need godly leadership. We need you to be involved in our pastor's heart, his mind, his vision, his decisions. Guide him, direct him, be with him. And Lord, help us to be supportive. And help us when we see him to say, hey, Pastor, I just want to let you know something. I'm behind you. I'm praying for you. I'm an armor bearer. I'll support you. I'll defend you. We're not equating 
our pastor with the Lord Jesus Christ. No, he's just our leader here on earth. And we thank you for him. Father, I ask and pray for this congregation that we would support the church with our time, our energies, our funds, our prayers. Help us to work and labor for you until you call us home. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 667, please, in your hymnal. Who is on our pastor's side? No, that doesn't say that. Who is on the Lord's side?
Let's bow, please, as we close. Our Father, we love you, and we count it a privilege to be here today. I ask, Father, you'll bless your word to our hearts and help us to submit to your word as we see this uh, example in Scripture that we can follow. I pray, Father, for our pastor that you'll give him self, uh, safe travels if he's traveling today and bring, us, bring him back here. And, Lord, bring us back again tonight. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.